0: Perfect Stranglers contains graphic and explicit content suitable for mature listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to Perfect Stranglers, the show where everything's made up and the points don't matter. I'm your host, Drew Carey. <laughs>
1: let's do props oh this is a podcast can't do props
2: oh I was gonna say I'm Ryan Stiles
0: <laughs> you remember the, the hold on oh yes. Yes. I
1: love it when they make up songs Wayne Brady is so yes. good at that oh
0: I do too <laughs> oh, he is and it's like he really is there was one episode And I remember it so distinctly where they were playing props and he was in a box and he had a sunflower thing like around Uh his face. So like, oh my gosh, I remember that. And he just like popped up and he looked like one of those babies and like those calendars that were like popular in the 90s. (laughs) And he was so freaking cute. (laughs) I don't know why, but I remember that specifically so distinctly. Can we just And then they try to redo it?
2: Can we talk about this like baby trend though? <laughs> where like they used to dress babies oh. up in like plants or like weird adult outfits and yes. then it just it reminds me of that episode of The Office where Angela is like obsessed with these like those
1: kinds of pictures. What was it like Ann Geddes photos or something like that? Yes, yep, Something exactly, like that, yeah. exactly. Oh, there's God. also those ones where, like, the kids are a little bit older. They're maybe, like, five years old, and they're, like, in, like photographed in, like, sepia tone with, like, cowboy oh boots. My God, yes, yeah. old like tiny. <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> Why was this a thing? Did you guys ever go get your, like, old tiny oh, picture yeah. taken? Yep. Where you in put, like, corsets yeah. and stuff on? Had an old... old Yep, yes. Anthony and I did it in those the Dell's Captain too. Dells. That was the night that him and I got engaged. as we went and did that and then I got engaged. <laughs> and I had no idea that he was like <laughs> oh, I had okay. no idea who was gonna propose. he was going to propose. You proposed at a fancy restaurant, but now like I look back at those pictures and I'm like, you don't bitch, you had no idea that he was going to engage. How did get engaged? How did you not know? Like how did you not know? Cuz I know everything and I knew that he was like planning it. At some point, but I didn't know it was going to be, like, that trip. I'm like, Come on, girl. How did you not know? I know everything. That was, like, the one true surprise I had. I
1: don't like surprises. Like, That's crazy. Gonna...
0: I don't either. I hate surprises. I want to like, like them. Are you...
1: Right. Like, it seems fun to like <laughs> them, but I don't. Just torture. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Here's... Here's my thing on surprises is if I truly have no idea that there's even going to be a surprise, like it's just like I don't know what that there's going to be one, then I don't have anxiety about it. But if I know that there's going to be some type of surprise or someone's like, hey, I got you something. It's like, what is it? Well, it's a surprise. Then I get anxiety about it.
2: Yeah. So it's like two
0: surprise levels.
2: When I was maybe like, and maybe it was like my 12th birthday I don't know. I was, like, fairly young. It was, like, slightly before my birthday. And my mom was like, hey, do you want to go mini-golfing? And my birthday is in the winter. So it was (laughs) like, do you want to go mini-golfing indoors? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, why not? And she took me mini-golfing. And we, like, walked in. And she was like, oh, we just have to, like, go pick up our, like, our little clubs in this back room so she was like oh just just come with me and so I was following her and like had no idea and then all of a sudden I walk into this room and all these fucking people are there and I was like what and it was like a birthday party for me my mom threw this whole like (laughs) surprise birthday party but and it was great but the whole thing feels like a fucking dream yeah. because I didn't know it was about to yeah. happen until so the whole time I was there. I was just like, "Uh, <laughs> what?" Right. Like my whole oh, yeah. my whole brain was like,
1: stuck. "No, I get that." I was traumatized at five years old. Actually, my fifth <gasps> birthday. Like I I can't. I think that my aunt took me out to the zoo while, like, everyone was, like, getting mm-hmm. to the house. And then I walked in the door, and there was, like, all my cousins and, like, all my aunts and uncles and everyone like that. And they had made, like, confetti out of, like, cut-up newspaper. And they were just, like... Like, like my little cousins did that. And so they... Oh, okay. They... I mean, they were older than me, but they were little at the time. And so, like... Yeah. I opened the door, and everyone's like, Happy birthday! And they like throw this confetti at me and I'm just like what the fuck dude (laughs) and like (laughs) it actually I think it like it just like scared me kind of and also like I am not one for attention especially that much attention yelled at you and you're five so I hated it and I went and I cried and I hid in my closet and like my parents had to like talk me out of there and then like when I finally did come out of the closet I went and I like ran and and like hid under the kitchen table for a while and it was not good and I didn't like it and then guess what at my 10th birthday they did it again except for (laughs) (laughs) it was a little better this time because it was only like Three or four of my best friends, and they had come down to Uh um, Milwaukee, where my grandma lived, because we had been, me and my sister had been staying there for the week in the summer, and my mom was going to come pick us up at the end of that week, and she ended up, she brought, um, like, my three or four best friends, and we had, like, a little pool party because my grandma had a a pool. So that one was a little bit better because it wasn't, like, all these people and, like, and it was yeah. fun, and it was like an American girl like luau party thing. It was really cute. They got like it was a whole kid. Like, it was cute. But I get the part where you're like, it felt like a dream, because that's what that one felt like. Yeah.
2: The worst part is that the the mini golf course was like a, a like a neon glow in the dark oh, one, cool. right? With,
1: like black lights.
2: Yeah. So like when you walk in, it's all dark. And then the back room was also dark. So when I walked in, like, you can't see a lot of Oh wow! Stuff. <laughs> so I'm just, like, sitting there and there's all these people. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what is happening? Wow. It was very disorienting.
0: Well, I don't have any. I've never had a surprise party thrown for me, but I've always wanted one. Do you, though? <laughs> well, just re- I do just, I do not... I do just because I want to like know what it's like to receive such a surprise yeah. like that because I've I've never like experienced like anything that exciting happening to me because I'm always the one who throws surprise parties like do mm-hmm. you remember the surprise party Brie that we threw at the bowling alley? You remember that? Yeah, my yeah. lip was
1: bleeding. Remember like I had got, gotten yes! my lip pierced and like it's it, like grazed a vein or yep. something like that and it was like healing and then like Oh, i just like the pressure yeah. of like holding the bowling ball that. and like <laughs> leaning down like and then i like i just turned around and everyone had these horrified <laughs> looks on their faces and they're like oh my god brie you're bleeding and i felt like something warm like running down my chin and it was like literally like every time my heart beat like it would spit out blood like it and i had to, oh. I, I had to take out my lip piercing and just let it heal and it was like a bummer because I like just got it done like a week earlier, but yeah, oh my yes, gosh. I remember that party. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you guys want to talk about something not very fun?
2: We should do housekeeping first. Oh,
0: oh yeah, housekeeping. We're gonna I mean, talk about housework. housekeeping, which housework. is you know...
1: yeah. So <clears throat> you guys, we really want you to like, rate, and subscribe. To our podcast so that you never miss a podcast and also it helps us move up in the charts which we are really interested in doing with your help so if you uh, find us on social media give us a like and or also on Apple podcasts wherever you listen to us um, give us a review and also we want to hear your weird stories Weird, strange ghost stories, not ghost stories. We want to hear your, your weird stories. So uh, send us an email at contact at perfectstranglers.com and check out our website. You can also submit your stories there, and our website has some cool stuff to click through. It is perfectstranglers.com.
2: You can even figure out what strangler you are.
0: Wait, the quiz is up? Yeah. Oh, my God. You guys, we have a quiz. Nicole created a quiz, and you can like click through it and see what kind of strangle you are. And I'm very excited to see what my mom gets because I can guarantee 100% she's not going to get me. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so um, I need to share that quiz. So I need to figure out how to do that on our social media. Mm-hmm. Also, 34% of you listen to our podcast on an Apple podcast app. And you know what 34% of you should be doing? Leaving us a review because we will love you forever. So leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Let us know how we're doing. Go ahead and click that five stars. It really helps us a ton. Can we, can we talk about how I look like Wilson from... Uh, I always want to see Wilson from Tool Time, but it's Home Improvement because I'm I have my, oh. <laughs> I have my camera over here, but I have I didn't print out my stuff this time. I just have it on my computer. Heidi <laughs> hole there, neighbor Tim. <laughs> Hidey hole there, neighbor Jill.
2: Oh
0: man, I love that. I love it.
2: I really loved Wilson. That was such a good. That was just like a pure comedic, like just golden nugget. Wilson.
0: Yeah, and then turns out Tim Allen's kind of an asshole. Oh, he's a huge oh, asshole. Yeah, yeah, he's gross. He's and actually a a, and disgusting. He's from yes, very. He's from Michigan.
1: Sadly, he's yeah. From, yeah. Where we're
0: from. He, he's a, he's a big Michigan dude. Yeah, you know. he
1: yeah. wears Michigan stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah. When I was younger, I
2: was like, "Oh, this is cool!" Like Tim Allen, like comes to my town, and like he's you know like. He, I just watched Home Improvement. That's all I ever like. That's the extent that I knew of Tim Allen. And then as I grew up, I was like, oh
0: fuck.
1: Yeah. He's from. Yeah. I mean, where I'm from. He's Buzz Lightyear, too.
0: Yeah. Oh, like yeah, he, that's he the is. thing is he but has really he has like really good roles that he's done, but it just sucks that he's like a conservative ass.
1: Have you ever seen his mug shot from like the '70s? I oh my God, love yes. it.
0: I love it. It is. If I could have, I would, there are some celebrity mug shots where I would genuinely like have a print of it hanging up. That is one of them <laughs> because I freaking love how just like 70s porn star he looks.
2: Right. I don't know
0: what year he was arrested, but that's what he looks like. I think it was like, porn star.
1: I think it was like 79 or it was, he, I don't it, know. It could have been the 80s too, I guess, but yeah. Yeah, I'm, I believe that one That's was. That's straight up what he looks like. Yeah, I think that one was for cocaine. It was? Yeah. yeah. Yep. S- 1978.
0: Yep. Okay. It's just, it's a great freaking mugshot.
2: He had over a pound of cocaine. What the fuck? Tim? Almost, almost a pound and a half of cocaine. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Which also kind of astounds me because I'm like, holy shit, like someone from where I. <laughs> <laughs> like from where I'm from, out of bounds at a house cocaine. cocaine.
0: That's so much, God.
2: Right? <laughs> what are you doing with it, Tim?
0: <laughs> uh, selling it, maybe.
1: Well,
0: yeah. Either doing it or selling it. <laughs> or just moving it. You know, maybe he's maybe he's like the mule in the middle of everything. Is that what they call it, the mule, where they're just like in the middle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know drugs. I don't know. <laughs> I just watch TV, you guys. <laughs> Sorry, mom.
1: Learning all kinds of new things on Discovery Plus app, aren't ya?
2: Oh man, God, this Uh-oh. this <gasps> this app has been dangerous because I switched. So I I had to make a choice. I was like, I can't pay for all of these services. So I switched out Disney Plus with Discovery Plus because best switch ever. Yeah. A, I didn't really watch it. I had Disney Plus more for the children in my life, which there's something to. And so I decided to nix that and get Discovery Plus. I've had so many nightmares. Oh, (laughs) oh no. (laughs) Because I just love Ghost (laughs) Adventures.
0: You switched at such a good time because there's a new season of Ghost Adventures, so there's a new episode literally every Friday. And they're so good. It's so
2: bad. It's so bad. And then I've also been watching um, Evil Lives Here. Mm -hmm. It's (sighs) such a good one. About, you know, stories from people where, like, someone they lived with or knew, you know, killed people and shit.
0: It's been really good for, like, the podcast to be able to, like look at a bunch of different angles on like the same case
2: yeah
0: it's been really good i used it a lot for the case that i'm talking about today um yeah. so let's like hop into it yeah what are we talking about um so today is going to be another two-parter um we're gonna break this up into two episodes because it's just a fucking lot but we're gonna be talking about the menendez brothers <clears throat> and so a lot of people kind of like have heard the menendez brothers i told my mom and she thought they were a band uh, i think she was talking about i don't know who's the Jonas who she brothers she thought they were <laughs> i th- okay so she thought that they were a band from the late 80s and early 90s i'm like millie vanilli <laughs> is that <How> weird <gasps> i don't know i don't know just, i don't know
2: I mean, it does kind of of sound like a band name, like the Menendez brothers, like the Jonas brothers. Yes. With Shawn Shawn (laughs) Mendez. Exactly what I thought of. I get get you, Flower. We're on the same track here. Oh, my God.
0: So, um... The big reason I picked this case right now is that there's, like, a huge resurgence of the trial and everything happening on social media, especially TikTok. Um, So basically what's happening is back in the 90s during the trial, there were a lot of allegations regarding sexual assault, rape, and physical assault, um, and just, like, emotional turmoil of not only the kids, the brothers, but of the mom as well. The dad was very problematic say the very least. That's putting it very lightly. Um, a lot of the Gen Zers on TikTok believe that the Menendez brothers didn't really get a fair trial and a lot of it has to do with the rape and sexual assault allegations. Um and it's important to note like in the back in the I almost said in the back eighties. <laughs> <like>, oh <my. laughs> in the back eighties and nineties, uh what rape is that, se-
2: What is the same like the back, the back forties.
0: <laughs> <the> back forty. <laughs> <laughs> what is the back 40 <laughs> I'm gonna pee I don't know what
2: is the back 40 someone google it okay so originally the back 40 means the remote part of a farm so a remote <gasps> or uncultivated piece of land on a farm Joe Exotic
0: the Ghost Adventures Joe Exotic episode is where you heard that
2: Yeah. And then there's also a song called Back 40. And there is also a bar where we live called Back 40.
0: Oh, okay. So that also makes sense. I haven't heard the last time I heard the term Back 40 was when we watched the Joe Exotic episode. So I don't know why that's in my head. But okay. In the late 80s and early 90s, or the back 80s and back 90s, Uh, (laughs) rape and sexual assault it wasn't really taken as seriously as it is today especially when one the victim or victims are male especially when those males kill their parents i'm not defending them killing their parents murder is never really an appropriate solution to something unless it's self-defense but i do believe that their sexual assault allegations should have been taken a lot more seriously and obviously we'll be getting into that but like even during the time of the trial and after the trial, the entertainment industry, like it, it was a joke. Comedians, late night hosts were making fun of it. The boys ended up crying on the stand and SNL had a skit regarding the whole situation of them being on the stand. And they just made it an entire joke of them crying on the stand. That's
1: messed that up. That was the
0: joke was that they were crying. Wow. SNL did that. And that like that is like obviously that wouldn't happen today and that's completely inexcusable but when i saw that and i watched the skit the fact that they did that made me like completely never want to watch snl again
1: who was in the skit to be skit? completely honest was there anyone recognizing um
0: i don't it? even know
2: yeah I even i'm know. i'm looking at it right now it is i'm um, like really blanking on this one guy's name john john melkovich and oh my god What is his name?
0: Um, I don't know. But like in the skit, the okay, so when they're on trial, the boys, um, they would wear sweaters and stuff. They didn't wear suits. They wore sweaters to make them look more like um, younger than they were. And that was done for a specific reason. But like,
2: yes, Rob Schneider. Thank you. Sorry, that was going to really bug me.
0: But yeah, it was It's like, really, that's what you're going to use as a joke. Like, that's really low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Like, why? Yeah. Um, Like, nowadays, that would never happen because we're, like, a more enlightened population. And, honestly, a lot of younger generations. Yes, woke. I hate that fucking word. We're a more enlightened generation. (laughs) And, like, our generation and especially Gen Z, they don't find that shit funny. And they will call you out. And I love that about the younger generations because it shows that. At least in that aspect of life, we're moving in the right direction a little bit. Baby steps, tiny, tiny, minuscule baby steps. But at least we have younger kids coming up where it's like, no, like, I'm going to call you boomers out on that. That is not fucking funny. That's not something that you make fun of. That's a serious thing. Um, So, yeah, when I saw that, it really made me mad. Also, I need to make a correction. Because in our O.J. Simpson episode, I believe I said that that was like the first major trial to be broadcasted or broadcast, and that wasn't true. O.J. may have been the first to be broadcast internationally. However, the Menendez brothers case is actually the case that started the TV network, Court TV. But for some reason, I thought that this happened after O.J., the Menendez brothers did, but it kind of did. So the Menendez murders happened in August of 1989. The trial didn't start until the summer of 93. So that was that huge gap. The OJ murder happened in 94 and the trial happened 94 to 95. And then the Menendez brothers were convicted yeah, they were convicted because they admit to it. Like, that shouldn't be a surprise. They were convicted in 96. So there was a lot of overlap between the trials. And the OJ Simpson trial affected the Menendez trials because they actually happened in um, the same, like, region. They both happened in California, like, Southern California, like, LA area. Interesting. So um, the OJ trial they didn't get a win with the Odry trial and they knew they had to get a win with the Menendez murders to like that's what it was is they needed a win basically and we'll get into that when we talk about the trial and just like how fucking fucked up it was. Um But yeah, like could you imagine living in that area in the time where there's two huge murder trials being broadcasted?
1: Can you imagine working in a salon at that time? And hearing oh,
0: like- the drama! <laughs> <Right>? The drama <laughs> of it all. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I just, like, could not imagine. But I wanted to say that because I feel like I needed to correct myself because I was wrong and I need to do that. Um. So before we get into it, I want to say a quote from, her name is Pam Bozniak, B-O-Z-A-N-I-C-H, I don't know how to say her name, Bozniak, Bozniak niche. niche. a niche. I don't know. She was the prosecutor for the Menendez brothers. And she said in, um, in one of the documentaries I watched, she said, On the outside to most people, this was the perfect American family. People assume that if you have money, you have no problems. And you're certainly not going to do anything like kill your parents because you got it made. And it turns out that rich people have dysfunctional families just as much as poor people. One kid killing the parents is a bad seed. Two kids killing the parents is a bad family. And that completely sums up this entire case. So, let's start with the family, Jose Menendez. Um, he was their dad. His full name is Jose Enrique Menendez. He was born on May 6th in 19... I put 1994. That's not when he was born. I don't know when he was born because I put the wrong date. He was born on May 6th in Havana, Cuba in some early, early date. I'm going to say maybe 40s. I don't know. No, I don't know. Oh, oh, you know what? I bet it was 1949 because I'm dyslexic and I put 94. I I bet that's what it is. Okay. (laughs) So he was born to a very affluent family. His father was a well-known soccer player who also owned his own accounting firm. His mother was a swimmer who had been um, actually elected to Cuba's Sports Hall of Fame. So he had a lot of competitive blood running through his veins. Um, And although his family wasn't like in the social elite, his parents were celebrity athletes and he and his two sisters were definitely like not struggling. Jose was the only boy and his mom was very fond of him and she emphasized with him that he was the man. He was a man and he needed to act like it and you need to carry yourself like a man. And he made him accentuate his manliness. The article I read said machismo and I'm like, I can't use that in a sentence, but I want to say it. Yeah. Yeah. He needs to emphasize it. It's it's a
1: cultural thing.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) I just like, I.
0: I, yes, he needs that. He needs to like emphasize it, that he is the man. He's going to be the man of the family and that's what you need to do. And it actually ended up turning him into like a fucking asshole. He was a bully. Um, He was difficult to control as a teen for the parents and that flooded into adulthood for him. In 1959, I'm going to call them the original Menendez family because the one with the murders, I'm going to call them Menendez's as well. So the original Menendez family in Cuba, they basically ended up having their entire lives uprooted because at the time, Fidel Castro was overthrowing the government. And he was going around seizing the property of the wealthy and the upper middle class. And that included the Menendez family's estate. So in 1960, um, 16-year-old Jose left the country to live in the U.S., He flew over with his sister and her fiance at the time. I couldn't find any like solid reporting that his parents also came over. But I'm just going to assume that they did at a separate time. Maybe with his other sister. Um, But when he got here, he was just a little fucking shit. He ended up sheltering himself. And he didn't make a lot of friends. And this was when his like cutthroat attitude really started to take shape. So he was like this recluse of his personality and like of himself but he wasn't like locking himself in his room he was going out and doing all these things but not not making friends while doing it that type of person who Uh just keeps to himself, but is out in public i guess Uh um in high school he was the definition of an overachiever he was extremely athletic like his parents extremely competitive he was described as just being very intense and this would be a common theme throughout his life um he actually won an athletic scholarship not to a specific college but just like money to help pay for college but he couldn't afford to attend an ivy league school which was something he very much wanted to achieve because that's like the epitome of academic success so he ended up attending southern illinois university and he went on to work many jobs over the years both as a single man into his marriage and into fatherhood he worked in the rental car industry music industry Um, and eventually ended up as a high-profile Hollywood exec at a um, production company. So then the mom, Mary Louise Anderson, her nickname was Kitty. The only reason her nickname was Kitty, her brother gave it to her because he called her to get into the car, and she, like, wouldn't get into the car as a kid, and he went, here, Kitty, 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 and she, like, came to the car, and it stuck. That's why her name is Kitty. Oh,
1: okay. (laughs) It's it's like the dumbest...
0: I know, it's random. It's like, I, I would be so mad if my name was Kitty after that.
2: All I think of but that's, is Kitty Foreman. Yeah, I love her. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I do too.
0: Have I ever showed you guys the picture I put on a w- one of my friend's wigs way back in, like, I don't know, it had to be in like seven years ago, and I look like Kitty Foreman. <laughs>
2: Not seen. My that. Mom, my
0: mom, when my mom was younger, she looked like Kitty Foreman.
2: Oh, I could see that. I could see that. I could yeah. see that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But like, I will never taller. not see
0: that. Yeah, I will never not see that. Well, my mom's only 5'2", five 5'1", five actually. What? My mom's, like, 5'1", or 5'2". My sister's, like, 5'1", or 5'2". I'm 5'9".
2: Why does she look, maybe in just, like, photos and things, she just looks
0: taller? No, my mom's short. I stand next to my mom, and I could literally rest my arm on her head.
2: <laughs> I'm taller than your mom. How am I taller than Flower?
0: F- no F- flower way. didn't shoot up very high. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, okay, back to Kitty. <laughs> so, Kitty was born to a middle-class family in a suburb of Chicago where her father owned an air conditioning business. Um, her home life was very upsetting. Um, Kitty's father was extremely cruel and abusive, not only to her, but to her mom. Um, while Kitty was still a kid, her father basically, he just completely abandoned the family to move in with his mistress Because of this, Kitty pretty much turned into a recluse, and she had very few friends. She was very depressed, moody, and eventually she did end up cutting off all contact with her dad um, from childhood into adulthood. She also attended um, college at Southern Illinois University, and that's where she met Jose. So Kitty and Jose ended up getting married in 1964. Both of their families were opposed to the marriage. His parents, because her parents were divorced, and her parents... Because Jose's um, Cuban heritage, um, in the early years of their marriage, they ended up moving to New York so Jose could work on his career. Kitty was actually an elementary school teacher, and she had dreams of becoming an actress and like all of the big things in Hollywood, the money, the material things. She literally wanted to have quote help, like that was her dream is to have quote help.
1: Oh, like
0: maids and shit. Yeah, so. I don't want to paint Kitty as like a decent person because I truly don't think that she was the greatest human being. Um, so um, I feel like those are very like
2: 50s, 60s aspirations to be an actress with help. Help. Like, yeah.
0: Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, so, uh, but after giving birth to their children, so there's Joseph Lyle Menendez, who we're just going to call Lyle, and then there's Eric Menendez. They're three years apart. Lyle is the older one and Eric is the younger one. They're like between two and three years apart because there's, you know, like a gap where things, you know, overlap or sometimes they're two years apart, sometimes they're three years apart, depending on what year it is uh-huh. or what month it is. That type of situation. OK, so she became a full time mom um, because Jose didn't allow her to do anything else but be a mom after they had kids. He forbid it. Ew. So for Jose, after graduating, he passed a CPA exam, which is like a financial exam He became a successful businessman as Jose was working his way up the corporate ladder. There was a common theme among his peers and coworkers regarding his work that work ethic and just his general demeanor and who he is as a person. Um, He was widely known for being just disliked wherever he went. He was an arrogant asshole rude to his coworkers. He was abrasive, willing to cut people off, burn bridges, do anything humanly possible just to get to the top. He had no regard for anyone else's feelings, no moral or ethical code. He saw no value in continuing working or in continuing any working or personal relationships if they had no benefit to him professionally or financially. All he really cared for was success and to make it to the top. So those that worked for him came out and they basically said, like, we tolerated him. And those that worked for him absolutely fucking hated him. They just hated him. His motto in life and something that he taught his boys was to, quote, lie, cheat, steal, but win, is what he taught his boys. Wow. So
1: when you were describing Um, how he was in high school, I was thinking this sounds like a sociopath and that kind of confirms that, uh I think. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. He um, was very cold, calculating. I think more even like a psychopath, where he can't make those relationships like he can't even fake making those relationships he has to fake those emotions Mm -hmm. like american psycho
1: yeah Mm.
0: yeah that's that's yeah that to me that was him um just fucking asshole so he would go on to actually calling not like thinking it and this wasn't like oh yeah i think he thought this but he would actually say it out loud His boys were his thoroughbreds. He raised them as if they were his prized racehorses. And it was as if he basically only had them solely to fulfill his goals of, like, living the American dream. So I kind of got into this, like, little I got into this, like, little bit of a shit spiral of, like, the psychology of immigrants and immigrant children, like, first and second generation Americans basically coming over. Um, turns out there's actually been quite a few studies done on the psychology of that, especially the children um, and the idea of the American dream and how that affects them. Um, there's a lot of unrealistic expectations and pressure that is put on them to continue the American dream. And I think that's something that, like, we're aware of, but I don't think it's something that a lot of people, like, know the pressure. And it's like we could obviously not know that pressure, but we, everyone knows someone who has been under that pressure and it's a lot and it's like they have to continue the American dream just as their parents did or even to have the American dream that their parents could never have it's a and hard, that certainly seemed to be-
2: sorry to interrupt you but mm-hmm. I feel like it's a hard balancing act for mm-hmm. first generation kids because it's pursuing the American dream right like getting a good job going to college, doing all of these things, mm-hmm. making a lot of money. But then there's also an expectation to continue the the culture of, you know, whatever country they came from. came from. And it's like keeping up those expectations, but then also meeting the American dream. And let me tell you, the American dream caters itself to a very specific culture. And it's yeah. very hard to balance Two, two of those things, and I think it can really, like, really fuck you
0: up. Yeah. Um. So, this seemed to certainly be the case for Lyle and Eric. The amount of pressure that they were put under, especially from their father, it was just, it was a lot. And that, that pressure of just living the American dream was like the very, very top, like, rice granule-sized tip of the iceberg for the shit that these boys went through. As a father and as a husband, Jose was – and a human being. He was just a piece of shit, in my opinion. Like, he was a piece of shit. So um, he was working his way –
2: No mercy from Kylie.
0: (laughs) Hot take. He was an asshole. Um, He was working his way up in business and gaining a reputation. He eventually became an executive for RCA Records, um, and that's where he networked and became acquaintances with a number of celebrities and execs in the entertainment industry. He eventually – Oh, Hi, Johnny. He eventually his tail just freaked me the fuck out. I was like, "Who's touching my hip?" But it's his tail. <laughs> um, he eventually ended up as a producer for a company called Live Entertainment, and this company was originally a porn producing company, but it later went on to produce children's shows like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, and eventually movies like Reservoir Dogs and The Blair Witch Project. Now, How it would, did so that's so, <laughs> what um, like we could get into it because there's a lot of information on it, but, um, Seems
1: strange <laughs> just kidding. Teenage Mutant Ninja
2: Turtles is, Turtles is actually a porn.
0: <laughs> so, so the company was, I believe at first called like Atlantis or something like that. And then it switched over to live entertainment. And I think it's called live entertainment now, but what's interesting and what will come kind of into play later on is the porn industry is often used as a front for the mafia Because it's a very easy way to bring in a lot of money. And it's at that time, especially, it wasn't there wasn't a lot of regulation regarding like the government. They didn't really dip their toes in it. It's kind of like a let it be. So it was a really good front for the mafia to bring in a shit ton of money very easily. So the brothers. So growing up, the boys were they're spoiled. I mean, they grew up with a lot of money. In fact, Kitty's brother... Would tell her that she needs to reel the boys in and give them some discipline because they were basically allowed to do what they wanted. Um, but this kind of stopped once the boys were in their late child to preteen years when they could really start like being competitive thoroughbreds in life. So I'd say between the years like eight to ten is when Jose really started to like lay his foot down and be that dude. Um, Jose and Katie All I can were ex-
2: picture is them as horses now because you said thoroughbred. <laughs>
0: It's, yeah, basically. Uh, The one thing that the parents did drill into these boys' heads is you have to be competitive in order to win, win at all costs. Their childhood was a childhood of privilege, and that all started when they moved to Princeton, New Jersey. So when we look at their life in Princeton, New Jersey specifically, one of their neighbors who has started to come out, her name is Alice, um, started to do interviews on the family, has said that Princeton, New Jersey is all about old money. You're modest with your wealth and you don't show off. With the Menendez brothers um, or the Menendez family, they were new money. Nicole's going to sneeze. Bless you, the cutest little sneeze. <laughs> um, but uh, So the Menendez family were new money. Jose worked hard for his money and he wanted to let everyone know everything was about image. Everything had to be picture perfect. You had to have the picture perfect life. And everything had to be absolutely fucking flawless. There couldn't be any bumps in your bumps in your road. People could not see you fall. So a few of the ways that they would do this was Jose and Kitty would do the son's homework. Basically, Kitty would do the son's homework. So Lyle and Eric didn't do very well in school because when it came to test taking, they didn't know the answers their parents wouldn't allow them to do their own homework, which is a really fucking backwards way to ensure success academically.
2: They wouldn't um, allow them to do their own no, homework?
0: What the They wouldn't fuck? allow them. But it's it's the perception and they wanted to get out into the world that their sons were like intelligent. So Kitty would um, sometimes lock the boys in the closet and they would, she wouldn't allow them to go to the bathroom. Um, there was an instance where I believe Eric was locked in the closet and he ended up hiding a baggie in there so he could go to the bathroom and he would then take the baggie out and dump it out when he was done going to the bathroom so that kitty wouldn't see. Um, There was one time here he tried to let himself out of the bathroom and... She found out and was not happy with him. So she ended up putting a little piece of paper in front of the door. And if he opened the door, that piece of paper would fall. And he didn't realize it was there. And she asked him if he went to the bathroom. He's like, no, I didn't. I didn't get out. And he's like, she's like, why are you lying to me? And he's like, I'm not lying. Because he didn't want to get in trouble. Well, that piece of paper fell down. And that's how Kitty knew about it.
1: And also they told Um, their kids to lie. Right?
0: Yeah. It's this family is very, very messed up. And. I don't want to say, they had it coming, because murder is never appropriate, but it's very hard to not say, they had it coming. (laughs) If you would have been there, you would have done the same, or whatever the song. Yeah, it's, it's, family's a lot. Um, Another thing that they would do was monitor who their sons dated. So Lyle was the older son, and Eric was younger. Lyle was like spirited one a ladies man very magnetic very charming a lot like his dad um, in that sense because Jose could be charming he could like turn it on when he wanted to like that's what a businessman does he can turn it on and turn it off like a switch so um, Eric on the other hand was like more shy and reserved he was laid back and he kind of like fell under the shadow of Lyle but he he loved his brother very much like really looked up to him and if Kitty and Jose didn't like a girl that one of the boys were dating, whether it be with for their looks, their personality, who they were in the community, the boys weren't allowed to see them because their image was everything. So they monitored the boys' friends as well. And another thing that they would do is they would make the boys take a limo to school. This wasn't necessarily something that the boys decided that they wanted to do or something that they, like had asked for. This wasn't like, hey mom, dad, I think I want to start making trips to school in a limo. And I think I just want to start riding around the town in a limo. Like
1: Who does that? it's <laughs> it reminds me of the it's princess ridiculous. diaries. Right? Like she's embarrassed.
0: Yes, it's ridiculous. And like it It was a decision made by the parents to gain a more prestigious reputation. Like, we have money and we're going to show it off. And, like, the boys were obviously raised with money, but they were also, like, now being taught, like, if you have money, you show it and you flaunt it. And it's like, that's not what you want to show your kids. You know what I mean? I
2: kind of feel like limos used to be this, like, really fancy thing. And I feel like they're not.
0: Like going to prom in a limo?
2: Right. (laughs) Like... (laughs) <laughs> I just remember like when I was younger thinking like oh my god a limo that's so cool and now I'm like it's just a fucking long-ass town car <laughs> like who gives yeah. a fuck
0: <laughs> yeah it, it's very odd and like the things that they um do them they were the boys were like forced to do things that they're ragadocious about it they they may have not wanted to have these things as children but into young adults like you're learning it and you're shaping who they are and like they're learning that money is everything and like your perception to the world is everything and lyle and eric lived to please their father the things that we just mentioned aren't really but like, like the limo is a material thing but a lot of the stuff wasn't material things like getting your homework done or had you have your parents dictate who you date or who you talk to that's just like weird fucking control things um and like as a kid who doesn't want a limo you're not going to turn down a limo as a kid like you're not you know yeah yeah. Um, especially to
2: parents like that you're gonna be like i guess we're taking a limo now yeah
0: (laughs) right but they also were taught that if you want something you got to work fucking hard for it um but they didn't get to choose what they worked hard in They had to do tennis like you got to work hard for it, but you got to do tennis while you do it. So um, (laughs) Jose hired numerous tennis coaches, one of which was actually a tennis coach for Venus Williams to train um, Lyle and Eric. And if they weren't at school, they were on the tennis court for hours a day. Um, The boys were Jose's workhorses on the tennis court and they had to live up to his standards. And if they didn't, they had to train harder and they had to train longer. Jose would actually stay there for every tennis training and he would walk out onto the tennis court and just tell the boys what they need to be doing instead of listening to the trainer because they had to live up to Jose's standards. And the trainer, one of the trainers, like, yeah, it was really freaking weird. And it was that like, be
1: annoying, like, as a what in the world? Yeah. Right. Did Jose um, play tennis? But it's like, tennis? you're getting.
0: I don't think so. Okay. He was um, the soccer player. I mean, I'm sure he was probably decent at tennis, but like, I don't know.
2: That's so weird, though. <laughs> like, why? Also, it is why? Weird. Tennis? <laughs> like,
0: tennis? Right. And like, what kind of parent goes out and just like does that? Yeah. Right?
2: It just it reminds me of, um, like dance moms or, uh, you know, like really hardcore sport moms that will, like, interrupt yes. a coach or something. Yeah. When you but said dance moms?
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, when you said dance moms, I thought you said dan moms. Oh. And I'm like, who's dance moms? <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> Dance? It took wow. me a second. Yeah. It took yep. me a second. <laughs> oh my god, that's funny. But I feel like that is um, a very like oh, I'm rich and like I'm gonna I don't care if I hired a coach. I'm gonna tell my kids what I wanna or like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it myself. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Um so uh Lyle, since he was the firstborn, he was supposed to be a mini Jose. Um he was very both of the boys ended up actually being really good at tennis but like at that point how can you not be good at tennis you know what i mean yeah um he utilized that talent in an attempt to get into princeton um which is a school that jose and kitty picked for him but his grades weren't up to it what what they were supposed to be when he was in high school because gee i don't know let's let's think about why maybe because he didn't fucking get to do his homework um so they tried to use his tennis ability as, like, a way to get a scholarship in the t- into Princeton, but he couldn't get the scholarship because his grades also weren't up there. So Jose ended up writing a $50,000 check as, like, a donation, which is a lot of money back in the uh, late 80s, and it makes you think of the <clears throat> college scandal. And so Lyle ended up getting accepted into Princeton, and he was there for a year, and he was basically told to leave because he had poor grades. He was even accused of plagiarizing his papers.
1: Wait, so his mom didn't write his college papers?
0: No, no, she didn't. Mm, he actually stuff. was on campus. Like, nah, I like, no, I can't know. do this anymore. Right. But, like, how can you expect a kid to be able to study at an ac- academic level like Princeton when he, like, didn't learn anything? Right. You know? How,
2: like, you just know. expect him to start doing homework uh, <laughs> after 12 years? <laughs> right. Not doing it? Like, if I was him, I'd be like, I'm not doing this shit. Like, I've never done this before. Why would I do it now? My dad gave you a right. lot of money.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. It's just, it's just crazy. So, um, the neighbor that I um, mentioned, Alice, Alice Hertz, H E R C Z, um, so she, she knew that Josie and Kitty wanted to get out to the world, that the perception was that everything was but those paying close attention like alice knew better um she actually lived right next door to them and she said that the boys idolized jose out of fear however the fear and the reason for the fear was not spoken about but you could see it and you could feel it and it's almost like stockholm syndrome kind of where you fall in love with your captor except for this time the captor is the dad I watched a Barbara Walters interview with the boys who I'm going to quote a couple times in this whole thing. Um, And it was with the boys shortly after the trial ended. And Barbara said, describe your relationship with your father. And Eric Menendez said, brutal, painful, torturous. And yet I admired him because he was so strong. He was everything that success was that I was taught that success was. And I thought that he was the most powerful and brilliant person I had ever met. And the prosecutor on the trial pam said that the impression she got from jose's character was that he could be charming if he wanted to but his basic human nature was to be incredibly dominant and abusive and that's exactly how he was to the boys into kitty so now that we have like the picture painted of the childhood growing up because the childhood growing up and the way that they perceived is a huge aspect of this case my next segment is called disappointment in california because I name my, I do my cases by segment, <laughs> so I know what I'm talking about. So, it basically all was a disappointment in California. So, it all pretty much goes downhill for the family in, um, like, 1987 to, like, 89. So, um, in 87, Jose moved the fa- family to Calabasas, and you might know that from the Kardashians, oh. um, to Calabasas, California, uh, after he got a job as an exec for the entertainment company, Live Entertainment. They had been living in Princeton for the past 20 years at that point, and Calabasas is basically a giant gated community, for those that don't know. Also, fun, fun fact, what I like to do, sometimes when I'm feeling like I need to look at something to boost my um, mood, I will go on Zillow and look at homes in Calabasas for sale.
2: I love looking at, <laughs> like, really
0: nice homes. I do, too. It's fun. But yeah, if you guys ever want to do something fun, look at homes. Oh, you know what I should do? I should start looking at homes in like Ireland and stuff. How fun would that be? I'm going right? to do that later.
2: I, oh, yeah, my, my <laughs> thing is I'll always look at homes in Switzerland. They're so nice. But they're like oh, cottagey yeah. because it's Switzerland and they like, most of them are you know, on a mountain.
0: Oh, that's pretty. I like that. Uh, Calabasas is basically a giant gated community or like a small city it even has its own helicopter pad for people to be able to go in and out of the community safely because nowadays like we know the paparazzi can actually cause major safety issues so that's like part of the reason that that exists the area that they lived in was just full of privileged privileged kids however with privilege as we know comes like rebellion um lyle and eric befriended a group of kids and i say kids but it was like late teens Into high school, like high school, but I'm just gonna call them kids. Uh Um, They weren't the greatest influences on them. They started doing these things called hot prowls. (laughs) What? Hot prowls. What is that? So, what a hot, what a hot prowl is is they would basically at night they would go to neighborhood houses, which were more like mansions, and break in and pretend to steal things just to prove that they could, and then. They would feel the rush of what it would be like to actually perform an actual robbery.
2: Oh, my so gosh. That this one, reminds me of that. Of that um, movie? Yeah, that story. Bling Ring. That. Bling Ring. It was like a real thing where they like went and stole. Yeah. um
0: Paris Hilton yes. and Lindsay Lohan and all of that stuff. And then that movie Bling Ring was made out from that. Yes. That's a lot. A lot of people equate this to that. At one point, Lyle actually committed a robbery um, and took things from a girlfriend's house. But not to be outdone, Eric said, you know what? I can do the same thing, bitch. So he went back in the house and stole something, came out, showed it to Lyle to prove that he could also take something. Um, And then I guess Eric wanted to go back in and put the item back before anyone found out. In total, over $100,000 worth of items were stolen, including cash and jewelry from a safe. So Pam, prosecutor, prosecutor, Pam, uh, <laughs> prosecutor, Pam, I'm going to start calling her that. Um, she heard though, that this wasn't something where the boys were just going in and out and breaking and entering and taking a few like jewels. It was more like they actually had a moving van and they would put that van in the driveway and plan to basically clear out houses. And she kind of operated her whole, like while she was the prosecutor, she operated on uh, operated under the belief that the boys were actually training to be career criminals, that they thought it would be a fun way to break away from like the boredom and be challenged to earn a living by getting a thrill. But lie, cheat, steal, but always win. Thank you, Jose Menendez.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So um, they actually did end up getting arrested. And once Jose heard about them getting arrested, he was very quick to act because he didn't want this getting out to the public or news outlets or anyone in their social circle. So what he did is he went to every single house that the boys had took stuff from, he apologized and asked them for a number, any number, what's your number, what's the monetary value of things that were taken. Wow. Once he had the number, he wrote, he wrote them a check, and that is how that was settled. So Jose wasn't happy with the boys, obviously, but he was actually more upset that they got caught rather than the fact that they were committing a crime. Uh, He thought, fuck, man, these boys are not leaders. Leaders do not get caught, and he was incredibly disappointed in them. They weren't living up to his standard of what they should be, like his prized possessions, his thoroughbreds that he owned that were supposed to be just like him, like successful leaders and winners and, like, not getting caught. And here they are getting caught for robbing places. boys ended up getting probation. Uh, They gave all of his stuff back, and it was shortly after that where Jose was like, We got to get out of here. He moved the family from Calabasas to Beverly Hills. And that was his way of distancing himself from the embarrassment that his boys caused that caused him. Um, So in 89, they moved to Beverly Hills and they fit right in the wealth, the privilege, the mansions showing off. It was new money and it was everything Kitty had fucking wanted. She got the help that she wanted. Um. but like this move caused the boys to basically rebel even more. So we're gonna talk about Lyle. This section's called Lyle the Disappointment. <laughs> so at this point, Lyle was 20. Um, he was out of high school. The Princeton the Princeton incident of like bad grades and getting kicked out had happened. And that was kind of like Lyle hitting peak rebellion. Kitty especially was having second thoughts about how much they had given the boys up to that point and looking back on how they had raised the boys. <laughs> Lyle basically, yeah, (laughs) really, yeah. So Lyle basically thought that he could get away with anything because that's what he was taught. You do whatever you needed to do as long as you win. And so he was really just doing as his father said, like we had mentioned, like what kind of dad gets mad at the fact that you got caught, not mad at the fact that you actually robbed places. It gets fucked up. Yeah, So it's all about image. Yeah, it's all about image. So Lyle um, started to kind of, Doing whatever he wanted, and he started to date whoever he wanted, even if his parents didn't approve. He was actually reportedly dating Victoria's Secret models, and he was just a yeah, he was a fucking ladies' man. He was a bachelor, just like living it up it in is, Beverly Hills. Lyle. That was
1: him. Lyle. This is
0: Lyle. That, that um, <gasps> there is a. Yeah, there is a few other things like there are stories of him, like going into stores of him and both Eric, like going into stores and just like standing on top of like the sets, like, you know, like the table with the shirts and the stuff on yeah. them, like standing up on them and being like, hey, and like talking and making their presence known and just like kind of causing a riot like that. And um, just That's like being so weird. Is weird. Just Just, like, doing whatever he could to get what he wanted and making his, yeah, making his presence known and breaking out of that bubble that his parents had had him in, at least trying to, but um, not so much as, like, I'm going to move. Like, he couldn't move away from his parents. And throughout a lot of this, people are like, well, they could have easily just left. And it's like, think about, like... Like, in a domestic abuse situation, the woman a lot of times feels like she can't leave. Like, no matter what, like, it's easy to say you could have just left. But can you really, though? Can you really just leave? Like, in theory, yes, you can just leave. But with there's a money situation that we'll get into. um, And the fact that, like, they looked up to their dad. They really looked up to him. And it's hard to leave that, you know?
2: It reminds me. So and I'm, I'm I'm not going like I'm not trying to equate these two like families as the same, but it kind of reminds me just a little bit of Shits Creek because it's like David and Alexis <laughs> were older. They, they why were they still like they're considered yeah. dependents? <laughs> like what
0: the fuck? Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. But it was it's just all the money like. And especially, I mean, in this case with the brothers, like, if your parents have literally done everything for you, like, down to your fucking homework, you have no Mm -hmm. idea how to function in the world. And I'm sure when they're raising their kids, they're not thinking, oh, we're raising our children to, like, move out from us. They're thinking, Mm -hmm. like, we're going to continuously control our children throughout their whole lives until they marry someone and then move into a house next to us. Like
0: right they didn't raise them to be able to be yeah they didn't raise them to be functioning adults yeah which is really if they could have
1: been functioning adults and like had the knowledge to like go off on their own i don't think that like i could just see like from what you've described so far i could see like their parents being like i can't have my kids out here you know couch surfing at their friend's house that's not that doesn't look good for us Right. Like you can't A lot of live shame. Like A
0: lot of shaming. So Eric, on the other hand, we had mentioned before that he was like kind of the quiet, shy one living under Lyle's shadow. I don't know why that was so hard. out. Um, but when they moved to Calabasas, he kind of started coming out of his shell. He ended up actually um, being quite flamboyant. He liked to have his presence known, um, just like his dad. So when they moved to Beverly Hills from Calabasas, he really like came into like full Eric mode. And (laughs) he had like this sense of confidence and he was a natural in front of the the camera. He was kind of like the more artsy one, I guess I would say. Um, He was incredibly photogenic. Like it's weird looking at Lyle because he kind of looks like my mom's boyfriend Craig when Craig was younger. (laughs) Like it's weird, but he kind of looks like that. But yeah, he was, he was photogenic and he wanted to be a working model, but he was a little short for that. So like, there's no way he'd ever make it, but he wanted to be a working model, but he also had like this weird dark energy about him, especially towards the, like, when we get closer to the murder, he was working with a photographer. Um, He worked with Eric on a bunch of different photo shoots and said that the last photo shoot that he had had with him, which was like a little bit before the murder happened. He was just different. The energy was off. It was heavy. Eric didn't speak to him on what was going on and why he was acting like he was. Um, But the photographer at the time did see like a change in him. He said he was quiet and withdrawn. And when that photographer did interviews, um, when he looked at the pictures now, he said they're very haunting to him because now he sees what was happening. Um, And this time in American culture, like, the back 80s and the back 90s, Um, (laughs) uh, gay marriage wasn't really acceptable. And could you imagine Jose's rage if he found out that his son might be gay? Like the rage would have been off the charts. It was suspected that Eric was gay and that really took a toll on him. Um, To this day, Eric states that he's not and not like that it would not make a difference to any of us like in the world, but just at that time, and the cultural climate, that would have definitely been an additional source of stress on Eric. Um, kind of like a ticking time bomb, I guess, of just, like, he's trying to be himself, but he's being put into this bubble. And I I could see a lot of rage happening. I also
1: want to point out that that does not align itself with machismo culture. Yeah. No,
0: it doesn't. So um, it was during this time, like, the 88, 89... Um, it was finally revealed to Kitty that Jose was having an affair with a woman in New York and a woman in L.A. Um, it's unclear if she actually didn't know about it previous to this time in their marriage. However, this is when she, like, made it known that she knew. What we do know is that the women he was having affairs with did not know about each other, and he was also being supplied with sex workers at this time. Yuck. Yeah. What a so, slime. he was...
2: Is this when again, Live Nation shit. was still doing porn, or were they, like... Leg- they
0: were legit by now, I guess, right? Um, yeah, I think that they, okay. they were more legit by now. Okay, um, but like maybe, maybe there was like some, some like maybe there was some blurred lines, in the back. maybe there were some blurred lines. I don't know. Um, but this was like really hard on Kitty because she loved Jose very much, she loved her boys very much. Um, but they were being raised to be dominant forces in the world, along with Jose being Jose. And so she was I'm sorry, surrounded did you say
2: horses or horses? <laughs>
0: forces. Also horses. Um, so she sorry. was like surrounded by one alpha male raising two alpha males in the making. And that's a fucking lot for one woman to handle. And women can handle a lot. And that is a lot. So on top of that, many family and friends looking into the marriage would see that Would see kitty and jose together they never showed affection they wouldn't hold hands and you could tell that like it wasn't fantastic it really is like a business relationship and she was just a woman in pain trying to put on a brave face and she actually ended up telling people close to her um around this time that she wishes her sons were never born so eventually kitty actually ended up allegedly attempting suicide She overdosed on Valium, and the nurses that were, like, helping her believe that she did, that it was an actual, she did try to commit suicide. Um, However, some sources say that she didn't, that wasn't an attempt. It was accidental overdose because Valium is very, very easy to overdose on because it has an extended half-life. So we have to, like, cover all angles on that. could have been one or the other. Yes, and
1: sometimes people Um, who take things like that, they'll take it. And then a while later, they'll forgot forget that they took one already, and then
0: they'll take more. Yep. So it could be one or the other. Some people believe she attempted suicide. Some people believe it was an overdose. Um, either way, it obviously wasn't great. Um, in the interview with Barbara Walters, I had mentioned uh, the boys were asked to describe their relationship with their mom, and here's what they said. So Lyle said, "My mother was a person in a lot of pain. She was an alcoholic, and she was suicidal." Eric says, there was not a lot of communication, but I saw her as I saw her hurt and I saw her get beaten. Barbara then asked to clarify that Kitty was battered by Jose and the boys reply, yes, battered physically and certainly emotionally. So the years of 87 to 89 were tumultuous for the family. Um, the affairs were revealed. Kitty is alleged attempted suicide, the Princeton issues, Um, Eric was actually supposed to go to Yale, I believe. I'm not sure if he ever, I don't think he ever actually went. Um, So finally in the summer of 89, Jose had a conversation with his brother where he revealed um, that he was contemplating taking the boys out of the will. So at this point, basically all control was lost in the family. Um, And to like, I feel like I've painted a good picture of who this family was and who Jose was, but this is like the final touches on the painting. So everyone just fully understands how horrible he was. So many people came out, ex-coworkers, reporters, talking about Jose and how he demanded perfection. And he never got it in the fear that he just like, he wanted people to be afraid. And this was really spelled out for me when Alicia, the neighbor, um, she shared that Kitty and Jose had pet ferrets randomly. I don't, I didn't see them as ferret people, but whatever. <laughs> they always had pet ferrets um, well, their pet ferret had passed away, and Kitty and Jose assumed that one of the dogs had killed it. They had two dogs, and one of the dogs was black and used quite an aggressive dog. Um, one day, I guess the kids opened up the refrigerator and found the black dog's head cut off in the fridge, presumably from Jose getting mad and cutting the head
1: off. Oh my God!
0: Okay, but that's the kind of person he was.
1: Why? Why keep it in the fridge? Yeah, I have no answers for that.
0: I heard that story a couple times. Um, yeah. So like a, what is, uh, while I, living,
1: like, what does that mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, is that I a, don't. I don't know.
0: I don't know. I don't know. He was evil. Huh. Like, I hate him. Um, so while living in Calabasas, Eric befriended Craig Signorelli. C- C- Signorelli. Yeah, that's good. Craig Signorelli. Um, and they, <laughs> I get. I get proud when I can pronounce something right. Um, and, I, and I look up the pronunciations before I start this, and it just all goes out of my head. I don't know what happens. Um, uh, so Craig and Eric started writing screenplays together. And the photographer, who I had talked about, actually like read some of the screenplays. I don't know why, but he did, I guess. But they specifically wanted to write murder mysteries. So they came up with a story of kids killing their parents to get life insurance money. When the screenplay was originally written, it didn't mirror the crime in detail, just like the overall story of murder for insurance money. That was the only, like, commonality. But a few months before um, the murders, Eric began adjusting the screenplay and basically completely rewrote the first 45 pages. And it turns out that it was almost exactly like what was done at the scene of the crime, which took place... Bless you! ...which took place after he wrote the script. So, a week before the murders happened, Lyle and Kitty were arguing. Kitty got so upset that she began, like, hitting Lyle and ended up ripping off his toupee. So, Eric's... Wait. Hold on. It's not funny. <gasps> what? I'm sorry. It's not funny. Hey. But it's not... But you, yeah, listen. You never that it's, I know that I know this seems funny, but the toupee actually has a really dark backstory and it's really fucking sad. okay so um and i'm trying not to laugh because it's i know everyone's like toupee i didn't see that coming okay it was a really nice toupee though if you like look at lyle Uh in the trial it looks it looks real like it's a really nice toupee um very believable the size needed to be his sides needed to be cut up a little bit because it like almost looked like one of those visors that are like sticking up Uh he needed to be trimmed down on the side but like it was like the 90s so whatever anyway so, uh, yeah, Kitty began hitting Lyle and ended up ripping off his toupee. Eric saw all of this go down, and he was shocked. Not that Kitty was um, hitting Lyle because, like, that was a common occurrence, but he didn't know. Keep in mind, there were 20 and 18 at this time. He didn't know that Lyle wore a toupee. He had no clue. It turns out that Jose made Lyle wear it because uh, Lyle, why else do you wear a toupee? He was having thinning hair. And Jose didn't want anyone to know, not even Eric, because it would have been an embarrassment to the family. So Jose was made, or yeah, or, sorry, Lyle was made, Lyle was made to keep this like a dark secret. Like, it's like, what did you do? Go to bed with it on and just like only take it off when you showered. That's how many secrets and how tight the res- the perception of this family was. That their family his brother didn't even know that he wore a toupee that's so toxic yeah that's crazy. so the brothers fed up with the fucking secrecy after this this is the tipping point um decided to then have a conversation it was a very emotional conversation about all of the secrets and everything that they had been through living in this family um and eric the younger one ended up breaking down their conversation and just started crying and it was at the time that he revealed to Lyle that, quote, dad has been doing things to me. Well, it turns out that Lyle told a cousin who was interviewed about the situation that one night when they were younger, like around, Lyle was around eight years old, um, and the cousins were sleeping over, or this cousin was sleeping over, and she was in her room for the night changing the sheets. And Lyle came in around bedtime and said that he was scared to sleep in his own bed, because his dad had been in the bed going in, into his bedroom at night and they had been touching each other down there. Well, the cousin, who was a bit older than him, recognized that this is a big fucking deal. So she went upstairs and told Kitty. Well, Kitty didn't believe a single word she was saying or pretended like she didn't believe it and just was like, This happens. I'm not going to talk about it. And um, on top of that, Kitty's brother, who seems like a real fucking piece of work, to be honest... He still says to this day that there is no indication to him that there is any abuse at all. He holds firm that the entire thing was all about the money, that Jose and Kitty would never have let anything happen to the boys, and they were just selfish brats. That none of the stuff that, basically none of the stuff that I had just talked about were happening. The boys were just like, they should have been disciplined more, and that was it. Like, he seems like a real piece of shit. Mm -hmm. So according to Eric, after the confrontation of Lyle and Kitty and then Eric and Lyle having the conversation, um, the toupee being ripped off, which um, I guess that co- that argument was presumably over the boys being written out of the will. Um, and um, from Eric telling Lyle about being basically molested by Jose, uh, Jose threatened Lyle that you're going to tell everyone what happened and I am not going to let you do that. And the boys at that point, Felt like their life was now on the line. This was a week before the murders, and it was that time that they went and purchased guns. So on August twentieth, nineteen eighty nine, it was like unusually warm in Beverly Hills. So a lot of people had their windows let open to let fresh air in. And when I heard this, I was like, "Um, "This is California, isn't it supposed to be hot?" So like me being me, I googled the weather, (laughs) and it turns out that August in Beverly Hills, the the high temp average is only seventy nine degrees. And it gets down to, like, the 60s at night. So people having their windows open, it turns out, isn't weird at all. And Beverly Hills was a pretty quiet town, and they only averaged two homicides a year in Beverly Hills. Their homicide investigation team consisted of two people, and that was it.
1: huh.
0: It's, like, how, like, wow. their petty crime was high, but, um, mm-hmm. like, murder, all that stuff, isn't wasn't really high. Sorry, I have to take a drink so on that evening in August Jose and Kitty August 20th 89 Jose and Kitty were sitting on a couch um upstairs in the family room eating vanilla ice cream with strawberries sounds mm. good um and they had I know it sounds really good especially and they had fallen asleep some,
2: like a, a, a warm but like cool night with the windows open
0: I know mm. you know what I so um I th- might have to go get ice cream tonight no Kylie don't do it you had a migraine yesterday because of sugar you guys listen to this real quick I have to tell our listeners I saw an article where there was like like thousands of boxes of Girl Scout cookies not being bought and I was like I have to do something about this be the hero and so I bought like six boxes of Girl Scout cookies from the Kalamazoo troop because it's the only one I could order online from I ate an entire box of cookies and then I put the rest of them down my garbage disposal because I was like, you fat bitch, what are you doing? (laughs) And then I got a migraine because I'm then I got a migraine the next day because I'm not supposed to eat sugar. So that's what happened. Anyway, back to the story.
2: (laughs) If you ever if you ever need to get rid of things, you know, food, you can just contact the people you love.
0: Well, like Girl Scout cookies aren't even that good, but I do like the The toffee-tastic ones are the ones that I really like. One, they're the gluten-free ones, so it doesn't like make me all bloated and like farting all day. Um, Fun fact. (laughs) Fun fact, I bloat up like I'm five months pregnant and I just like fart and burp. Maybe that's why I keep burping. Oh, yeah. Maybe. God, Kai. Kylie Ann. that's why I keep burping. Um, so I kept, I just kept dipping the toffee tastic gluten free ones in coffee and I was like drinking coffee at like eight at night and like I didn't sleep because I was all wired up with these sugary coffee rushes. <laughs> uh, so that's what I did.
2: I really love making like, um, I'll take thin mints and crush them up into like a pie crust. So
0: oh that would be good they had they sent me a recipe for thin mint brownies i know and i was like andy andy's mint brownies but like better
2: yeah
0: um so at this time they were eating ice cream oh yeah briar's ice cream that was was gonna talk about briar's vanilla ice cream with like you can see the little flecks of the vanilla bean in it oh my god
2: yes
0: so good that is such good vanilla ice cream dude or so good
2: Hudsonville.
0: I've never had it. Is it really you've that good? Never had okay, Hus-
2: so you've never had Hudsonville. I don't ice buy cream?
0: ice cream. Oh my I don't god, buy ice cream. Okay.
2: So Hudsonville is like the bougie ice cream in yeah. eastern Michigan, and it's like six. It's like five or six dollars for like a tub. So good though.
0: What's so that? Good. What's that one ice cream brand? It's gelato. Talenti? Mm -hmm.
1: The one in the plastic.
0: Yeah. Oh my god. And you can see all of the layers. I'm like Googling it right now because they just came out with like a confetti cookie one.
2: What?
0: Girl? Let me show you. Come on, Target. Where's my camera?
2: That looks good. That looks so good.
0: There's like spray. It looks like it sprinkles, then vanilla ice cream, then strawberry ice cream, and maybe like. Cake pieces and then more ice cream. I want that right now. I'm assuming it's not. Yeah,
2: honestly. Oh my
0: god! And they have a strawberry shortcake one. (gasps) Chocolate pretzel. Uh,
2: Talenti is stepping up the game.
0: Salted caramel truffle. (gasps) red raspberry vanilla parfait. I don't like mint though, because like I, if you want to taste mint, like brush your fucking teeth. (laughs) Um.
2: Heart they have take. a pistachio ice cream and that is <gasps> love really good. that's like the only Talenti that i i think i've ever really tried i've tried like they have like a sorbet too that i've tried but their pistachio ice cream oh man i will if i do make brownies i will buy that to go with brownies
0: oh my god speaking of pistache. Again, I don't know why Crank's coming up in this episode, but Craig, he used sir. to make. I don't. I, Great, I don't know why this is talking. I, I don't even know. I haven't seen him in so long. He used to feel like. I feel like he was like really tall at one point, but I'm pretty sure he shrunk a lot. Anyway, he used to make pistachio pudding a lot.
2: Oh my god, I love pistachio pudding.
0: I do too. Sorry. I don't know. Why I just thought about that, but I even remember putting sprinkles in it, and the sprinkles will like turn it brown because the color yep. comes out of it. But yeah. I used to
2: do that when I was little. And... I used to do that too. My mom would make pistachio pudding like on a, on a weekly basis, I feel like. It probably wasn't that much, oh. but it felt like that much.
0: But it felt like it.
2: <laughs> and so then I'd put sprinkles in it and then she'd get mad because it was all brown and looked disgusting.
0: <laughs> yeah. But sprinkles make everything better. They do. Um, so let's get to this this what's happening here so they were eating ice cream and strawberries and they had <laughs> apparently fallen asleep on TV jose or oh, I you saying jose lyle and eric i got i saw that lyle was 21 at this point and eric was 18 so he must have had a birthday at some point and like mm-hmm. yeah what we were talking about because there's like different age discrepancies and i think that's the reason yeah.
1: cuz he just hadn't, tur- he hadn't had his birthday that year yet
0: hadn't. Yeah. yeah yeah um and so lyle and eric entered the family room and jose was then shot in the back of the head with a mossberg 12-gauge shotgun Kitty, presumably awakened from the shot got up from the couch she was shot in the leg and fell and then she was shot several times in the arm the chest and the face the face detectives said that she was completely unrecognizable and there was brain matter spattered along with blood everywhere Kitty was wearing all white, and her outfit was almost completely red by the end of, by the end of it all. She was shot in the face; she was missing an eye. It was completely out of her head. Part of her nose was gone. Um, her other eye was like crushed in her head. Her teeth were all missing except one tooth that was hanging out of her mouth. Both Jose and Kitty were also shot in the kneecaps in an attempt to make the murders appear like mob hits. However, the, the mob, however, the mob would never won. Leave the crime scene as messy as it was when one bullet to the head would suffice. Two, the mob wouldn't kill the wife, and three, the mob wouldn't collect shotgun shells, which is exactly what the boys did. It was also determined that the boys had shot Jose, then shot Kitty, and then went out into their car and reloaded their weapons in order to finish the job. After the murders took place, the boys sat on their steps, um, waiting for the police to the ro- waiting for the police to arrive. Since they knew that people had heard the shotgun shots because it was, the one, everyone had their windows open and it was actually later confirmed that people did hear them, but no one did anything about it. Wow. Um, people came out and said, yeah, we heard the shots, but this is Beverly Hills. Stuff like that doesn't happen here. And no one did anything. Yeah, that,
1: that reminds me of the um, Lululemon in Bethesda, um, Maryland, where yep. hardly yep. any crime happens.
0: Yep. So, um, when it was understood that nobody was going to do anything about what had just happened, um, the boys decided that they had to call the cops on themselves. And so now I'm gonna play the nine one one call.
1: Yes, please. Uh... what's the problem? Sounds uh What's the problem? What's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> So I killed my parents. Pardon me? So I killed my parents. What? Who? Are they still there? Yes. The people No, no, no. Were they shot? Hey, Matthew. Uh, were they shot? Yes. They were shot? Yes. What happened?
2: is I'm trying to get people to
1: see of their editing, this is funny. Is the person still there? Okay, what happened? We well, have you mixed around, what happened? I don't know. Who shot who? Um, I don't know, I not came home. and found who shot? My mom and dad.
0: You know what, they're still in the house, the people that did the shooting. Ah, get away
1: from him. Okay. Hey, uh, let me talk to Eric. <laughs> let me. Let, who is the person that was shot? My mom and my dad. Your mom and dad. My mom and dad. Okay, hold on a second. <laughs> okay, we're on our way over there with an ambulance. Okay, I gotta go. <laughs> Hello. Hello, this is police department. Yeah. Okay, I want you to come outside. <laughs> okay, come out the front door I and never brother. my brother.
0: So that was a nine one one call. So Lyle was the one that called and Eric um Lyle was crying the entire time. Eric was screaming in the background and Jose and Kitty were dead at that point. So Eric was just like I'm assuming he was like crying and screaming. Um, and you can hear Eric saying, get away from, or Lyle saying, get away from them, which is like, get away from the body. Um, also, the woman who, the 911 dispatcher who is a woman, what happened? What happened? She I was, was like, come on, bitch. bitch.
1: And, like... I know. She was really annoying.
0: Yes. So, um, yeah.
1: <laughs> and it's like, she's like, who did it? Like, why? What? I don't know. Yeah. That's it's not like, the
0: point what? right it... now. <laughs>
2: like, Just send right. someone. Like... Lord.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> that that woman really bothered yeah. me. What happened? What happened? What ha- let let them fucking fake? Right? Jesus Christ. Like their parents just died. granted they did it, but still it's still traumatic, you know. Um so when the police arrived, the boys weren't seen as suspects. They told the police that while the murders were taking place, they were at the movies. They said they went to see the new James Mo- James Bond movie, but it was sold out or like had already started. So they said they ended up seeing the Batman movie for the second time. And then they went to the Taste of LA Festival in Santa Monica. Um, Nobody ever checked for movie tickets or proof of an alibi at all. They were never made to undergo testing that night for shotgun residue. Their cars were not searched. They were not questioned aside from telling their alibi. At that time, the police didn't feel like there was any reason to suspect them. However, due diligence should have been done. And they should have been looked at because if they would have, they would have found gunshot residue on their hands and their murder weapons in the vehicle.
1: Well, when you only have two murders a year, (laughs) maybe you're not quite as practiced.
0: (laughs) A big reason to believe that they didn't look into them is because of the assumption of everyone lawyers up there. If the police says one wrong thing to these boys, if one wrong step is made, these boys have the money to lawyer up and basically like ruin the department's reputation um so that is one reason why a lot of people believe that maybe the cops didn't question them and do what they were supposed to do is because it's kind of out of fear that they would possibly um yeah lawyer up so in the months following the murders the brothers began to pretty much spend money like it was nothing even though it was suspected that they were written out of the will it turns out they weren't um, and they also received an insurance payout of six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. What I'm saying, a lot of money. and back then in eighty nine, like and then that in today's money, like what double that and that's how much they got like that's insane. Um yeah. so when I say a lot of money, I'm talking about they allegedly spent upwards of a hundred thousand dollars within like the first week or two. Um the following are the major items that were purchased. um, and these were, um, all listed out in court documents. Um, a jewelry saleswoman, Mary Ellen Marr, testified during the trial that four days after the killings, the brothers spent $15,000 on three Rolex watches. The watchers were then worn to the funeral the following day after the purchase. Lyle bought a gray $64,000 special edition Porsche Carrera, I think, replacing his Alfa Romeo, <laughs> and Eric exchanged his Mustang for a Jeep Wrangler. Lyle ended up, classic Eric.
2: classic.
0: So Lyle ended up putting um, $300,000 down, uh, a down payment on a Buffalo Wing restaurant called Chuck's Spring Street Cafe in Princeton, New Jersey. The restaurant in total costed $550,000. So he put on the down payment for that purchase. He named the restaurant Mr. Buffalo's. How fucking dumb is that? so fucking up. So I don't enough. know if the restaurant still exists. I didn't look into it. Kind of regretting that I didn't. Also, now I'm going to have wings tonight. Um, <laughs> but Mr. Buffalo is like, are you kidding me? Um, And then um, Eric invested $40,000 into funding a rock concert at the LA Palladium with a friend, but the friend bailed on the project and Eric lost all his money. They hired Mark Heffernan, a tennis coach who costs a small fortune of $60,000 a year. Um, Hefferman testified that he trained the brother- brothers for like 10 hours a day at their adjoining Marina del Rey condos. Okay,
1: how much more tennis training do they need?
0: For real. Well, um, Eric was more committed to the sport. He ended up actually flying internationally to compete in a semi-pro tennis circuit. Um, And then in an article, I know, Whoa. they're actually really good. Um, So in an article from Refinery29, uh, they stated that according to more court documents, the below items were found to be inadmissible to use as evidence during the eventual trial. So these are other things they purchased, but it couldn't be used during the trial. Hi, Loon. Is that Loon? I can't see.
2: Yeah, it's Loon. It's always Loon.
0: Um, So uh, these were not used in court, but these are also purchases. The rental of a bungalow suite at Hotel Bel Air, a ski trip to Aspen clothing and accessories purchased in Chicago, a private limo used in Beverly Hills and Chicago, a Sony big screen entertainment center, a Saab vehicle, vacation to Cancun, skiing and gambling in Lake Tahoe, traveling the professional tennis circuit and investments at Smith Barney. I don't know what that is. So this was done. This wasn't like years of purchases. This was like months worth of purchases. All of this happened in like a span of months. So
1: they traveled to all these different places
0: in a span of months wow. okay Yes. Um, they also ended up hiring computer esper- experts shortly after um, shortly after the murders like very shortly after the murders to completely wipe the family computers clean of anything that would indicate a will or their exclusion from a will and I'm like why would you just go and push delete but this is 89 and like computers were not what they are today so it makes sense um <laughs> So while all of this is going down, people are like noticing and starting to get very suspicious of the boys because like people grieve differently. But this is fucking unbelievable. Um, During the early stages of the investigation, the police trial tried to narrow their search down to people who had motives to kill Jose and Kitty. And like I couldn't find a lot of info on actual leads that went for more than like a suspect to like an actual investigation besides one dude who worked with Jose at the entertainment company. Um, there was talk about like mob ties and that's kind of where the mob came in because the boys originally claimed that this was a mob hit. That's why they, they shooted um, they shooted their parents in the knees. And that's typically a thing that the mob does is to shoot people in the knees. That's so like a mob signature. Um, and that's where like the poor the live entertainment being a um in the porn industry and being like a front for the mob would tie into this as well. Um, It was believed that Jose actually did have mob ties. So he possibly would have um, enemies or maybe owed someone some money or something like that. But none of that ever panned out. Nothing came of it. So the investigation continued and um, the police were like, yeah, the brothers were most likely the murderers. They had financial motives and the spending was a little fucking ridiculous. So the police had to be very careful with how they went about catching the brothers right now because there's no actual like evidence. There's no nothing was done at the crime scene to show that I Nothing was done at the crime scene to show that the brothers like were the murderers. Um, it was just suspicions. So in an attempt to get a confession out of Eric, who was like he was the chatty one. And Lyle was Lyle kept his mouth shut like he should have um the police convinced old craig signorelli eric's friend who wrote the screenplay and played tennis with him to wear a wire while having lunch with him so they chose craig because 12 days after the murder craig and eric were hanging out just playing chess cuz that's what rich people do apparently and C- eric literally just said to craig do you want to know how we did it and he just spilled his guts what and then they just went right back to playing chess So from my understanding, it's almost like Craig heard this, tried not to freak out, tried not to make a big deal out of it and sat with the information for a little bit. But he did end up going to the police um, and telling them what Eric had said. And after the police knew what had happened, that's when they decided that Craig was the one who was going to be wearing the wire in an attempt to get another confession on tape from Eric, because that would have been the only like the only way to pin them for this. So the two went to lunch. Craig tried to like poke and prod a little bit at Eric, asking him how he did it, trying to like get him to say anything, like any little bit of evidence out of him. Eric didn't really like budge on anything. So it was kind of like a lost effort. And the police pretty much were like, well, we're not getting a confession here. We need to come up with a whole new plan. Um, But the confession to Craig so soon after the murders turns out wouldn't be the last time that Eric would open his fucking mouth. Three months later on Halloween, Eric confessed again. And it was this confession that ultimately led to the arrest of the Menendez brothers. And that's where we're going to end this episode for today.
2: Ooh. Oh snap.
0: Oh snap. So, um, yeah, next episode, we're going to talk about the trials and the arrest and all of the dark shit that happened there.
1: All right.
0: Yeah. So, uh, that's that's the Menendez murders. And wow. I have a lot of thoughts on if uh I have a lot, I have a lot of thoughts on this. <laughs> I have so many opinions and I'm not gonna share them until like after this, and then we'll like obviously do this. So what do you think? Do you think it was like worth mm-hmm. it? All that stuff. Um yeah. also uh I highly recommend that after we talk about this. You Google what Lyle Menendez looks like right now, because I'm telling you, he looks like a dildo with ears, and I am just saying that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man.
0: I think I sent you guys pictures of it in the drive, or not in the drive, yeah. and he does, doesn't he? I mean, the... Yeah. Um, the,
2: you
1: the, could, the bald yeah doesn't do him. A lot of favors So maybe, I guess they don't let you have toupees in prison.
0: No. The toupee thing. Like, it's it's funny, but it's sad. And it's like, it's funny, but it's sad. And also, ouch, getting a toupee ripped off. Yeah. Because it's really, they're really stuck on there. Uh Like, that would hurt. And could you imagine, like, someone that you've known for 18 years of your life thinking they had a beautiful full head of hair and all of a sudden they have just, like, a fucking sunroof on top of their head? That's what I call it when they have hair on the sides and like no <laughs> hair on top. The sunroof. <laughs> I could look like Bozo the clown. Oh my god. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the first part of it, and we'll. Um, next week is going to be a Brie episode where she's going to talk about um, TBD. I'm not going to tell you, but it's going to be a fun one, and then we will conclude the Menendez murders. So we will. Chat with you next Thursday, guys.
2: Oh my gosh, we have to wait so long for this conclusion.
0: Hey, listen, suspense, suspense not is my good. thing. Gonna be worth it. <laughs> I know you're not, and you're not good with surprises either. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Stranglers, we will chit chat with you next Thursday. Yeah,
2: bye, everyone. Bye, Stranglers.